Hello, and welcome to Criterion. Close up! <laughs> who is this guy? And actually, who am I? <laughs> uh, usually you'd be hearing Mark Herney's voice right now. Uh, Mark is uh, not here. He has some obligations. So um, this is Aaron West. I, I took the mantle, the, the host mantle. And I uh, brought along a, a good friend, uh, Keith Enright. Hello, Keith. Welcome back. Hey there. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> Let me bring that back down. Hey, Aaron, how are you? <laughs> I don't want to uh, speculate what happened to uh, <laughs> to cause that that pitch. Uh, but Keith is the the completionist, and uh, the last time we talked to you, well, we we talked to you all the time, but the last time we talked to you here was uh, Bob Dylan. Yes, that's true. And now we're talking about uh, Bill Clinton. So, uh, uh, or Maybe a little JFK, maybe a little Donald Trump, I don't know. <laughs> Certainly a common thread, though, with the filmmakers. Yeah, good point. I did not make that connection. But um, uh, anyway, this is going to be a very timely episode. We are talking about The War Room, uh, Pennebaker and Chris Hedges' documentary from 1992. And it's about the Clinton campaign. And I think we'll probably talk about uh, Primary, the uh, Robert Drew series, and we'll probably compare it to uh, some things that are going on today as well. Uh, In case you guys haven't noticed, there's some politics uh, in the news lately. I'm going to tread lightly. I have no interest in losing followers. (laughs) Likewise. Uh, Yeah, we we are careful not to be a political podcast. Of course, everybody has political views, and people get upset. Uh, I think you and I are not the type of people to get upset, but... Yeah, we don't want to upset other people. So if we say something, we're not advocating for or against anybody. Uh, We're just, uh, but I think we're both political junkies, right? We are. I was telling you earlier, I'm a junkie, but I I like to keep enough distance where I don't spend my entire life PO'd, so to speak. (laughs) I'm a junkie that likes to sleep at night. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) but I do like uh, being entertained, and uh, this year has been uh, very entertaining on uh, on both sides of the aisle. So I'm sure we'll get into that, but uh, if we talk about politics, it's more going to be just uh, our perceptions of, of the race and, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, I think what and, we're trying to say is it's just unavoidable when you're talking yeah. about movies like this. Yeah, and I, actually it's a good opportunity, too, to uh, to talk about, uh, to compare now with uh, a couple, a couple other uh, uh, events. So... So we're going to get into that in a little bit, but since uh, Keith actually started the Criterion Completion, so we um, or the Criterion Connection, so we don't have to talk about that. But I'd like to, um, since you're here, I'd like to pick your. Oh, actually, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. I, I do want to do a, a tiny bit of housekeeping. Uh, usually, we do a Criterion close-up episode where we have a guest and we do a, sort of a mini interview slash discussion uh, slash geek fest. Um, this month, our guest, uh, scheduling-wise, didn't work out, so uh, he was a gentleman that uh, has worked on some extras for a variety of different labels, and we're hoping to get him back at some point, uh, just not going to be in May, but maybe in June or July. Uh, so uh, anyway, that, that's why this is a little pop-up episode, That uh, and I appreciate you, Keith, for somewhat short notice coming on board. Oh, it's my pleasure. So let's uh, let's get into some, get into bleh, let's get into some things. Uh, in case you haven't heard, Keith, uh, there is a new streaming service coming up in uh, November that's going to be Criterion related and maybe some other labels and maybe some Turner uh, Filmstruck. Uh, and we haven't really heard your opinions on this, or I not a lot of news lately. But what do you what do you think about this whole thing? 
what this is called film struck you said i haven't heard of this i'm oh. joking <laughs> did they send out a pamphlet or something no they haven't sent out much <laughs> I, we're still waiting on on the press releases and well, they did the, the first press release yes yes no i'm being very facetious i've been following this since the minute it came out um as somebody who loves his physical media but as i've discussed on here on previous uh podcasts i i really do focus my physical media on criterion just so i can keep you know you talk about losing your sanity with politics uh, i i could lose my sanity quickly with collecting discs so i've always or over the last few years i've tried to focus just on criterion and do use a lot of streaming for for other avenues so i'm a bit of a streaming junkie although i'm I well admit that it's not the optimum way to go. I've got just about every streaming service out there. In fact, I've even got, uh, I think it's called Kello, the, uh, or Quello, the, the, the music uh, concert one. Oh, so cool. I, I, I do do quite a bit of this. Um, we kind of live in um, uh, HBO Go and, and Hulu and, and Netflix when we're not watching Criterion stuff. So I think this is uh, an amazing opportunity for Criterion. Um, you know, when they started with Hulu a few years ago, they got a lot of buzz from that. But I think just over time with them not having a lot more films to put out there um, or or even, you know, as many people have talked about on different podcasts, without Hulu really having a, an engaging um, uh, interface to interact mm -hmm. with these films, you know, it's a nice place to just know that they're there. I've had a Hulu subscription for years that I got just for that, but I use it rarely for that. I think I watch more Bob's Burgers. I watch more Bob's Burgers <laughs> on Hulu than I do Criterion. But um, um, so, you know, we're all kind of filling in the blanks until we hear more. But, uh, you know, if they really do nail the curation aspect of this, I think they're going to have uh, a real hit on their hands um, mm -hmm. to be able to have the, the special features and all of that. And, of course, um, <clears throat> people such as Dave uh, with, the, uh, with the Eclipse series, you know, as he's quickly running out of series to, to uh, talk about, I really think it would be a great opportunity, you know, from a curation standpoint, if... if Obviously, they don't seem to be wanting to put out many Hulu sets, or sorry, uh, Eclipse sets anymore. But if they could curate them in the same way on mm -hmm. Filmstruck, I think that would be a certainly a, a good plan B on keeping the Eclipse series alive. So I, I'm pretty excited about it. So should we tell David to uh, do the Filmstruck viewer? I think we might have to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's a lot of opportunities. And, and like you said, Hulu is not the best interface for uh, for film. Uh, I'm just curious, are you going to keep your Hulu uh, after film struck? Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it. I, You know, there, there's a lot of stuff on Hulu. I mean, if you start digging down in those menus and some of the, uh, the old studios or the different production studios or channels, I mean... I found some really good old, uh, you know, Dick Cavett shows and Groucho Marx shows. I mean, mm -hmm. if if you take the time to dig, there is a lot of goodness on there. So yeah, I'll keep it definitely. Yeah, I've dug some. It's, uh, uh, but I I agree the, the interface is not uh, not uh, thrilling. I, I I wish there was an easier way that you didn't have to dig. Yes, exactly. But I, I do think it's an interest. You know, we we know that Criterion has an immense library, and a, a lot of the stuff on Hulu is not on disc. Uh, like say, uh, a lot of Kenoshitas, Narasay, exactly, exactly, uh, Bulldog Drummond, you know, stuff like that. Uh, that uh, probably, well, maybe Bulldog, 
Bulldog Drummond could come out someday. Uh, but uh, but this is a, a good place for, um, I think, other other titles to go on. We were speculating about Tony Richardson the other day uh, and how Criterion may or may not have rights to his uh, library. And right, right. So they could just drop those all on uh, Filmstruck. Yeah. Uh, and as long as you present them well, I mean, I think you're going to get some uh, definitely more engagement that you don't from, from Hulu. Mm-hmm. I think I'm, well, I'm, I'm in the tank for the Criterion, and I'll, I'll pay whatever they ask. Well, <laughs> depending on... <laughs> Oops. I, yeah, well, don't, don't listen to this film struck. <laughs> uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll pay uh, more than Hulu, for, uh, definitely. But I, I'm more interested in what they do with the other uh, channels and, uh, and the interface, too. In, in fact, on the, the newsstand, Arica, he had a wish list of uh, having the, the channel be like a Criterion disc menu which I think is amazing. I don't know if it's very practical. I heard that. I'm very intrigued by that, too, but I wonder how they would do it. Yeah, I, in fact, I loved his ideas, even if they were a little far-reaching. But, uh, uh, but yeah, I, I think far-reaching ideas are, are what we need. Filmstruck has yes. the potential to become the you know preeminent art house uh, streaming service. I think that, uh, actually, if... Um if they don't know how to do it, they should talk to Arik. He could probably tell them how to do it. He probably could. So, uh, Arik, there's a little plug for you. Uh, we'll put you in touch. Uh, so, do you do Fandor, Mubi, any of those? Or uh, no, I, I've been sticking with as as I said, I have practically all of them. Now I have to say I really don't. I mean, I've got <laughs> I've got Hulu, I've got Netflix, I've got Quello, Kello, whatever it's called. I've got. Uh, um, I have had Fandor in the past, but I just haven't kept it up. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's frustrating to hear people, uh, quote-unquote, more mainstream people saying there's nothing to watch on these things. So, and, well, yeah, if you're looking for something that was in the theater last week, that may be true. But there's for people like us, there are some real treasures in there when you start to look. Yeah, I did Fandor for a little while, and I found a ton to watch. Uh, in fact, I found too much, and, and the problem was I just couldn't find time to actually watch it. Right. Uh, and, of course, as, as you guys know, any listener knows, I, I watch a lot of a lot of movies, a lot of Criterions. Uh, but, uh, so, yeah, I, I, I could see myself—well, I, I do worry about Fandor. We've talked about that. But, but if uh, if similar services moved over to um, Filmstruck, I, I could, I could uh, subscribe to those, too. So. Oh, yeah. Maybe Definitely. they'll have a deluxe package price where you get everything. That would be that would be cool. I I'm willing to support what what people what they try. So yeah, me too. Whoever hears this, uh, you've got my seven to eleven dollars. <laughs> if you're if you give me a lot of stuff and it's just south of my cable bill, then I, I think you got me too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although that's there's that's a big. lot of room that's south below anybody's cable bill. I know that too much room, and you know that that actually is another uh, discussion. A lot of people are cutting the cord, and a lot of people use these uh, streaming services. So you kind of wonder where the future is going with. Uh, well, we always talk about physical media, but even you know televised media. Uh, Filmstruck could be important there. You know, it could replace TCM, could replace Blu-rays. Although I, I I'm pretty sure that Turner definitely doesn't want either. And Criterion don't—they don't want this to become a replacement for discs and uh, and DVRs. No, until the until the day they can guarantee that uh, my movie is going to stream in perfect 4K without any interruptions. You know, Blu-rays, Blu-rays for me, or anything that comes after that, I guess. Yeah, as a, as a quality nerd, I just uh, yeah, I, I do love streaming for the accessibility or the, yes. the convenience, but uh, the presentation, I, I just love the discs and. I'll uh, 
I'll always lean towards the disc if I have to. Well, well, I guess we'll wait and see what uh, what comes out. I guess it's been a little slow going since the first announcement, so I imagine it'll pick up. Well, it's May now, so <laughs> maybe in the next couple months. Oh, they'll let us know, that's for sure. Yeah. All right, well, I'd like to pick your brain a, a little more, uh, Keith. I, I know you're the, the completionist, and I know you have... Uh, well, actually, we, we called you out on Chronicles. Did you hear that? <laughs> Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> Actually, since you have a, a platform, do you want to uh, speak to that? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I don't. I don't think anybody that's hearing this would would have to um, would have to be convinced that this, some of this compl- this excuse me some of this collecting that we do is definitely a bit on the OCD side. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I've I've talked about it e- even with all these options that we have. I mean, there and we talked about this the first time I was on the show. There is the there is the film loving aspect of this, and there is the collecting aspect of this. And you know, as a Criterion completionist, um, or as the Criterion completionist, if the. I have to trademark it, um, you are. Uh, you know, that's just the, the line in the sand that I've drawn is there's three million movies out there that I could watch and or collect. And these are the ones that I want to collect. So um, when I started the completion uh, last year with discussions with Dave Blakesley, you know, it was um, just more along the lines of I wanted a place where people could um, revel in this and not feel like they have to uh, answer to spouses or family or friends or their checkbook or anything like mm-hmm. that so you know it's kind of a safe haven for, for people who unabashedly collect criterion and as with that you know i consider myself a, a title completionist best mm-hmm. version title completionist so you know that's going to of course be all the blu-rays but then beyond or underneath that you've got all the dvds that haven't been re- released on blu-ray and even going back farther than that you've got uh the laser discs. So we're at about 825. Uh, Ryan's gonna hate me because he doesn't like my phrase here, but uh, <laughs> you've got about 825 five-inch discs, and there was <laughs> right, about right. 385 so spines for the 12-inch disc laser disc. Mm-hmm. And um, you need about in in order to be a title completionist, you need about 120 laser discs, and I'm about. 40 away from that side of completion so i've got about 80 so hopefully by the end of this year i'm going to be a title completion completionist across all formats except for the three that came out on vhs i do have to draw the line somewhere <laughs> and, and voyager yes and, and i, I want to come back to the laser discs but uh, just to backtrack a little bit um on uh, criterion chronicles what we what we speculated is with the david lean noel coward set uh whether you were going to buy a new copy of Brief Encounter. Uh, so are you? No. Okay. No. <laughs> so there was a couple things that came up there. One is it's got a different cover, right, than the it one does, that's in yeah. the box set. Um, that's that's not compelling to me because I've gotten rid of a lot of DVDs that had different covers when I went to Blu-ray. Um, so there's no need to do that because I have the beautiful box set that came out a couple of years ago. And then David speculated, well, maybe he still wants to have the uh, spine number up at number 76 on the shelf so there's right. no break in the line. And 
uh, I had to cop to that uh, because <laughs> yes, I do like to do that, but that's that's still held in place by the original DVD. So there's no reason for me to uh, to uh, buy a second copy of the Blu-ray just for a different cover. Yeah, because that's a relatively early spine. Yeah. Yeah, it is. At, what about Easy Rider? Because that has a, uh, I think the documentary that was on head. Well, I've got the box set, so I, I just feel like I'm covered. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, as, as a completionist, if you saw my wall, well, you probably have seen my wall, but if you saw the random order, you would probably be ashamed. I, I haven't. <laughs> One day I'll, I'll sort it. I, anyway, coming back to the Laserdiscs, so you collect them. Do you actually watch a lot of them or many of them? Or I do. I, I actually do. I, um, You know, there's a bit of, you know, this is going to be maybe a little hard for some people to hear because I am a, you know, we're talking about the streaming aspect and making sure you have the best quality. Um, but there is a bit of a nostalgia aspect too of, of popping in an old laser disc that's uh, not quite the perfect uh, presentation that it could be and uh, seeing the old, um, uh, oh, I can't even think of one right now, but the old, other than Criterion, the old uh, studio um, uh, splash screens that come up and everything. But mm-hmm. uh um, no, I typically will, I have watched, of the 80 Criterion Laserdiscs I have, I've probably watched about 35 or 40 of them so oh, far. Okay. Um, well, they were way better than uh, VHS, I remember. Well, that was I don't know if their they're, selling point. I don't know if they're way better with today's eyes, but with, with uh, back then, with your, then, they were very, very impressive. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been a couple, I think... Uh, Magnificent Ambersons was one where it was so dark that, uh, you know, it really wasn't worth watching, but I still kept, still have it for the, the special features and everything. So it definitely is a, a, a museum aspect to it, but yeah, I definitely, um, do, um, or will over time pop all of them in. They, it's a, it's a lot of fun just to go through the, the process of it. Well, hopefully we'll get Ambersons in uh, a nice, uh, new Blu-ray someday and you will be able to diverge, dive, Divest, divest yes. <laughs> divest, divulge. You'll be able to divest yourself of that uh, that laser disc. To and, some... I've only, and I've only got so much room for these big discs, so anything I can get rid of is fine, too. Yeah, our family had some, and, and we had to buy these big wicker uh, bas- or boxes uh, that uh, that fit them. And I, I guess they were probably for vinyl. Um, but yeah, the, my family was very glad to get rid of the laser discs. <laughs> well, all right. Well, you want to get into some politics? Oh boy. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a, a short break and we'll hear uh, maybe from James Carville here uh, and hear some Cajun political truths, or <laughs> at least truths in, in his mind, maybe not exactly. in everybody's. And we'll be right back. There's a simple doctrine outside of a, a person's love, the most sacred thing that they can give is their labor. And somehow or another along the way, we tend to forget that. And labor is a very precious thing that you have. And any time that you can combine labor with love, you've made a a merger. And I think we're going to win tomorrow. And I think that the governor is going to fulfill his promise and change America. And I think many of you are going to go on and help him. I'm a political professional. That's what I do for a living. I'm proud of it. Welcome back to Criterion Close-Up. I'm back with Keith Enright. We're going to talk some politics. We are talking about the war room. 
1993 documentary from uh, D.A. Pennebaker and Chris Hedges, his wife, who I didn't know this until five minutes ago. <laughs> this is a uh, it's a, another uh, direct cinema film, which is, of course Pennebaker was known for. Uh, this one is about politics. I think this might be his first political film. Uh, could be mistaken there. Again, it's 1993, and it follows the uh, the 92 Clinton campaign, the the election cycle, uh, from the primary series against uh, where he's running against a number of candidates: uh, uh, Songus, Paul Songus, uh, Harkin, a uh, whole bunch, whole slew, through the uh, the general election, which was against, of course, the incumbent George W. or George H. W. Bush, not not W. That would be later. <laughs> And, uh, and also the third party with uh, Ross Perot, which is a very unique election in a number of respects. And even though uh, Clinton is, of course, the candidate and the really the main character of the film, uh, or the main figure in the film, the main characters really are the staff, and uh, that's where the, the war room comes into play. Uh, they inhabit this room where they just watch news, uh, react to news, uh, call uh, or I guess devise strategies on on how to um, how to run their campaign, what messages to hit, and uh, James Carville was the campaign manager, whereas uh, George Stephanopoulos was the uh, communications director. And of course, if, if you don't know, those both of them have uh, have have gone on to other careers since then. So uh, this was really their their breakthrough in the in the public consciousness. And uh, it's but it's it's mostly about their story, uh, the insights uh, into what a political cane, uh, political cane, uh, political campaign. Uh, maybe no, oh, never mind. I'm not going to say what I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> what a political campaign is like uh, behind the scenes, uh, at least in '92, and uh, it's probably a little different than the campaigns that were run previously, and uh, maybe a little different than the campaigns run today. I so, think so. So I think we're going to dig into this some. I, I think it's a, a fascinating film. Uh, what are your general impressions, Keith? What do you think of The War Room? Well, it's interesting, the, the things that you describe that they do and what different people can get out of uh, the same movie. But the main thing I got out of it was that they ate a lot of popcorn and James Carville watched The Andy Griffith Show every day at 4 o'clock. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I I love this movie. Um this came on the heels of my political awakening back in 92. Um, I'm old enough to have voted in 1980, presidentially, in 1984 and 1988. Uh, in 84, I'm a Minnesotan, so I was one of the few people in the country that uh, voted for Mondale. And in 88, I have to admit, I don't remember who I voted for. I may have voted for Dukakis, but uh, I was politically green enough that I could have been swayed either way at the time. So when, when this uh, when this election came around, I was um, married, uh, had a young son, uh, was my first, first election that I really paid attention to. And uh, after the election, when I heard that this movie was coming out, uh, I couldn't wait to see it. I don't remember if I saw it in the theater, probably not, but I know I would have seen it in its first iteration on home video, so, you know, maybe late 93, early 94, and this movie was a uh, kind of a, an eye-opener for me. It was, and still is, incredibly engaging. Um, 
you know, if they if this film would have been just about um, Clinton and the the distance that they would have had to keep from him in many ways and all the different people that would have been around, it may not have been as intriguing of a movie. Mm-hmm. But to have but to have Carville and Stephanopoulos right there, um, uh, especially Stephanopoulos, who really seemed to understand the power of media and that's brought up in the special features a little bit too and of course where he's gone to be where he's at today um um, perhaps uh more watered down that i'd like to see him because i think he's a very very interesting guy um Mm -hmm. but to see these people um in their formative years he was i would assume probably in his mid to late 20s and i know carville was in his 40s already at the time he was 47 i think 47 wow um but uh, yeah, to go to go back to to the film itself, I just found this incredibly engaging, um, incredibly. Uh, I guess I'll just use another another word. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, one of the things that I think about when I watch this is you see all these stars in the making, um, political stars, so to speak. I mean, not only not only yeah. do you have Carville and Stephanopoulos, but you see the you know the early days of Mandy Grunwald and uh, Stephen was his name Stephen Greenberg mm-hmm. and um, uh, Mickey Cantor. Although he pretty much, although he was there the whole time, they they he he didn't agree to all the filming, so you don't see him too much. Um, but it, it it's it raises a question for me. It strikes that. And we can talk about this with Pennebaker all along, but he seems to have had just an, this incredible array of luck of being able to film stuff that that you know from Kennedy to Bob Dylan to Monterey Pop to mm-hmm. um, DeLorean, all of these things where <laughs> you know not only was he have the foresight to be there before things got big and famous, but uh, he. You know, he really had a hand in 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 showing these people to the world and and, and making them as famous as they are. It makes me wonder um, how many documentary crews get embedded with losing campaigns or um, or or stories that are not as engaging. Where you know, who knows? Is there is there you know a thousand hours of Paul Songus's campaign somewhere that nobody <laughs> wants to watch? You know, there's a, a Songus documentary out there. Maybe maybe it's good. <laughs> yeah, I, I think with with direct cinema, I, you really are the the final product is really luck, and uh, and yes. Pennebaker, he's extremely talented and a groundbreaking documentarian, no doubt. But yeah, as the films you mentioned, even uh, his other musical documentaries, he he did Ziggy Stardust, and he did uh, well, of course Jimi Hendrix, Depeche and, Mode One Hundred and One. Yeah, you know, yeah. different style, but yeah, uh, yeah very successful musicians. Uh, they have followings, their fan bases, and uh, and and just in the public consciousness. Definitely, Jimmy as he's become an icon, and and that Jimmy at Monterey is a uh, one of his legendary performances. Yes, but yeah, here here he backed a candidate that, and they talked about this in the features that, that nobody knew he was going to win. He did have a lot of momentum, and he followed through. And uh, and yeah, if he had if he had jumped on the Songus campaign, it would not have been quite as compelling a, a documentary. We also didn't know uh, that Carville and Stephanopoulos were that engaging, and, and, and the whole the whole crew was engaging, but those two really, as you noted, stand, stood out. Uh, and 
and yeah, it's, it became a journey. And, uh, and, and just like, don't look back. Well, although I, I think, um, don't look, I'm sorry, don't look. Yeah, don't look. I always do this. Here don't we go back. again. The Criterion Curse. Which one is it? D- don't look <laughs> back, back or now. Uh, with that, of course, he knew Dylan was a very popular figure, but he captured him on the really his the uh, before he went electric. So really, towards the last days of his uh, acoustic, right on the cusp of that. Yep. Yeah. So a very pivotal time in his life, uh, and he captured some very key, uh, uh, I guess, key moments with. Uh, with Dylan. So yeah, I, I think in this case, it was a little bit of luck, a little bit of skill, and, and also a little bit of uh, access, you know, talking people into being on camera. Uh, it, I don't think a lot of campaign managers would want to be on camera talking about their strategies, even if the documentary wouldn't come out for a year or two after the election. Um, but yeah. Uh, I uh, suspect that it was hard, you know, this was kind of a... a uh, I forget the phrase I'm looking for, but it was lightning in a bottle, basically, because I think before this, it would have been really hard to get access like this. And as successful as this movie is and as good as it shows them, I suspect that it, in a way, made it hard for people to get access after this, too. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of uh, uh, politicians in the years since have made their own documentaries or they've uh uh, I remember John Kerry had a documentary, and I, I don't know if he was uh, uh, behind the production of it, but there was one called Going Up River, which is about his life. And even though it was partisan, it actually was a pretty well, uh, well-crafted well uh, film, but it, it wasn't, you know, the fly on the wall, uh, right. Right. Uh, warts and all kind of uh, exposure or expose of... Uh, of what happened behind the scenes. Well, that's the key, right? I mean, warts and all. That's the that's what makes this stuff more engaging than than just uh, something that's been funneled through your vision. Right, and, and warts and all, we, we see there's one scene where uh, Stephanopoulos threatens a Perot uh, supporter and pretty much says that he may, his uh, political career might be in jeopardy if he backs the wrong guy. And uh, that, uh, in the um, another... A series, I think it was Pennebaker or Maisel said that you can't capture re- truth because everybody knows the camera's in there. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think there is a little bit of truth here in that you do capture some of the, and I don't want to use the word sliminess, but uh, you know, the, the strategic behind the scenes maneuvering, some of which, if we knew about it, we would be shocked. Uh, oh, it, of it course. Ha- happens now, happened uh, 50, 60 years ago. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a. I agree, it's a fascinating documentary. It also was a fascinating election, and like you, I well, this was actually the first election in which I voted, but I'd followed the '88 and the '84 election elections pretty closely. I was always a political nut from you know, really my formative years, and uh, those weren't as exciting. Uh, they were pretty much blowouts. Yes, uh, that's true. And this one, I think, was really, really special. I. Bill Clinton did have a handle on media, a, a new handle. I mean, we're going to talk about JFK, but he also had a, a, a different uh, a strategy with the media, and he also was kind of a celebrity, just like Clinton became. Um, but, uh, yeah, Clinton became the MTV president, and you also had a third party. Uh, you had a, a very change-oriented campaign, uh, the anti-read-my-lips <laughs> campaign, or <laughs> as Carville said, it's the economy, stupid. That's uh, right. And don't forget healthcare. And don't forget. <laughs> and, uh, and actually, 96 and, two, well, 2000 was a, a different story. But uh, 
I think we're in another one of those right now too. So I, I think just choosing the right campaign was uh, was important as well. Do you agree? I do. And, and of course, the question that comes up for me in the latest campaign is, you know, we have so much media, we have, you know, people talking about the same three points 24 hours a day on at least three major stations. And, you know, you wonder, you wonder what could come out in the future after this is all over on, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if somebody had access like this, you know, what would we learn afterwards about how this really went down inside the campaigns? And I mean, I think that goes back to the point that, you know, you you just don't get this type of access anymore. And I think it's a, it's a loss for us because we get so much surface and we get so much uh, fake analysis and, um, you know, people just, giving opinions all day long it would be really nice to be able to see this from a a documentary style inside the war room so to speak Mm -hmm. i think mostly where we get that these days is when you get like john heilman and mark halperin writing a book afterwards yeah game change i was thinking that yeah so i mean they write a book that that really gets into the the meat and potatoes of it but then what happens after that is hbo makes a fiction film out of it so you know they're they're engaging in their own way but boy i would sure love to see more of this from from the inside like you do in this 92 campaign there was a a game change too about uh, the the following election and i'm 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 willing to bet there's going to be a game change three about this election they they might rename it just because this one is so different Uh, and and i mentioned uh, that uh that clinton embraced uh you know the, the cable you know cable networks and 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 new media uh, you could say obama uh he and he also embraced technology but he, he one of his strengths was uh the web and also email he he did compile a, a large email list mm-hmm. and and this year uh there's it's a, a major social media presence uh, yeah, of course D- donald trump the uh, presumptive pretty much guaranteed republican nominee is tweets uh, like crazy so does Hillary but in, in a different way the tweeter in chief yes tweeter in chief yeah so yeah I, uh, I, I would love to see a, uh, a fly on the wall behind the Trump uh, campaign but uh, I don't think we're gonna see that no I, I think that's kind of what I'm kind of resigned to is that that this was kind of lightning in a bottle like I said and mm-hmm. uh, I don't think we're gonna see a lot of this unless something really changes yeah, and of course, the war room itself was kind of a new thing in '92. Uh, at least, if we believe the supplements, I'm sure there were variations of it. But I think this film inspired other campaigns, and, uh, and as they noted, that uh, pretty much everybody has a, a war room now. Uh, however, I, I I don't know that I, I'm sure Ted Cruz had a war room because he was he was very much a boots on the ground kind of politician, mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. probably Hillary. Does, I'm actually I'm positive Hillary does. I don't know about Trump. I I, I kind of have a feeling, feeling he might. Well, I don't know. His he uses his family a lot, and uh, I I really his campaign's kind of a mystery. What do you think? I agree. It's a mystery. Um, uh, it seems to be much more of a. Even if this is not true behind the scenes, it seems to be much more of a a one man show. And mm-hmm. you know, a war room entitles. Uh, uh, people getting together and bouncing ideas off each other and and you know and and fighting about things you know you you fight about things in the war room even though <laughs> Kubrick says you shouldn't <laughs> no fighting in the yeah. war room yeah <laughs> um 
that'll be another podcast. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it's interesting, and it, I don't know if this was in Wikipedia article or in the special features, but you know, some people have been so enamored of the concept of this war room and what it did for Clinton um, that some have even asked that their war rooms are set up just like the one in this movie. And mm. to me, that just strikes of some some real missing the point. You know, it's like now, what are we going to, uh, you know? apply the success to feng shui you know it's just it it's right, right. It, it it's not i don't think it's something you recreate it's just something that you have to develop yourself and and organically or not it's going to happen and and you do have to adapt too and i think that's one of the things they they did they adapted to the the this new me uh, new me this new uh this new cycle um and you know it still had the the uh, newspapers, uh, big television, uh, actually it would be very different, and they, they point this out today with the news being so immediate. So you you couldn't have a war room like this one where they read newspapers for three hours every morning and they uh, they you know, look at, into Brazilian posters for uh, right. the afternoon, which w- would not pan out. Right. Uh, and they don't, you know, it's not gathering around the television at 5.30 to, or 6.30 to watch the CBS Evening News. I mean, it's yeah. it's not packaged that way. It's just coming at you all day long. And, you know, to me, to me, it almost feels like that that would create a different kind of war room, which with a lot more activity, a lot less, like you mm-hmm. said, sitting around reading and digesting the newspaper, but trying to figure out how to react to something within the next 90 seconds. Yeah, I'm actually getting a little anxious thinking about yeah, exactly. how, uh, how you really have, and there's so many, so many uh, uh, platforms. There's, of course, a gazillion channels. There's websites. There's Twitter. There's Facebook. Uh, things can go viral in, in an instant. And, and it's actually kind of sometimes the the topical, the, the stories of the day are really just what the, the public embraces. So yeah, I guess you really had to be, would have to be right on top of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we do know that Trump is very, very uh, focused on uh, on social media, and he does tweet a lot. Uh, the others, I think, maybe a little slower to respond. Um, actually, when you when you mentioned the war room with Trump, I thought of the war bathroom. <laughs> He's just looking at himself in the mirror. <laughs> oh, I, I, I thought he was sitting on the John tweeting, is what you were saying. <laughs> he might be. <laughs> <laughs> might be. Uh, so let's talk about Tar- Carville a little bit. Uh, I think Carville, uh, Southern personality, and I, I, I think it's it's safe to say that he's a little vain. And uh, and also there was a narrative between him and, and his uh, his wife Mary Madeline, who worked for the the Bush campaign. I, I think that's an interesting dynamic. Uh, well, they were barely. I mean, I think they were engaged at the time, but mm-hmm. uh, you know they didn't see each other obviously a lot during that time and. You know, you talk about Pennebaker and Hedges and, you know, documentary and documentarians getting lucky. I mean, talk about a story to hang your hat on. It just, mm-hmm. although they didn't get into it too much, it certainly does bring some flavor and something to another hook into making this an engaging story. I mean, mm-hmm. to to this day, it's to me, it's fascinating that those two are together and that they've had by all accounts, a wonderful marriage, great kids. So it um, appears, yeah. So it appears, and I think that's that's really heartening to see because you know when you talk about all the social media and everything, uh, 
you know, we've gotten ourselves where everybody's everybody is retreated to their own corners, and and nobody wants to talk commonalities or this or that. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm on this side, and you're on the wrong other side. It's it doesn't. I don't think it needs to be that way. I think we should all have courage courage of our convictions, but we're not the only one on the planet. There is the other half. Um, but Carville and Madeline really, I think, uh, show that. I mean. Mm-hmm. They, they both do that. They, their jobs are to paint the other one as, you know, <laughs> the devil, in, in, a, in, a, in a way, so to speak. But, um, but then at the end of the day, they go home and they have dinner together. I mean, it reminds me of, it reminds me of the 80s when you had Reagan on one side and Tip O'Neill on the other uh, in, the, in the House of Representatives. Thinking the same thing. Yeah, yeah. but, you know... They got together and had dinner back then, or at the very least, drinks. You know, it was, it really is sorely lacking in that today. And I, I really do um, lament um, where we've gotten to in that respect. Yeah, I don't think John Boehner and Obama went out for drinks very often. Who knows? Well, right, exactly. Uh, and I don't, well, maybe Paul Ryan, who knows? But, uh, but yeah, if I'm if I'm going to advocate for something here, I, I would say civility and and finding common ground. And I think that's that's something that has become lost. Um, I, I when I was watching uh, the the film, knowing that Mary Madeline and Carville, which they do cover in, in this documentary, but it's like you said, they they nod to it. They don't mm-hmm. really focus on it too much. But it was interesting, uh, when, you know, like the Brazil poster thing. They they mention oh uh, Madeline or sorry. Uh, Mary uh, was mad, or, or uh, Stephanopoulos said something to Carville, and he just dismissed it as if she was another opponent. And uh, and there's no no question they were in love with their own candidates, and they hated the other their, the the other candidate. Uh, that of was course. that was valid. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that that did come out more in the uh, the the follow up documentary, and we'll we'll get out uh, we'll cover that in a, in just a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Uh, Another part, I think, is just uh, getting caught up into the thrill of victory. Uh, this They pour themselves into this campaign, and you do see the sweat and all they put into it. Uh, I, I think it, there's something to be said, and, and I, this is not a spoiler. Bill Clinton won the 92 election. FYI. Wait a minute, what? <laughs> uh, but seeing the... Uh, the jubilance and seeing uh, you know, Stephanopoulos speaking to Bill, uh, we, we don't see a whole lot of Bill, uh, but we see see him in in the way other people react to him and uh, and just seeing that feeling and that that triumph uh, that was that was pretty pretty magnificent it's I, very I, it's very touching yes and i think even if you are not a clinton fan and i know there were many and still many uh i think it's it's interesting to see uh, just uh, the genesis and the uh, you know i would, would not want to see the losers locker room uh, probably the bush right. Uh, right. bush side would not be as pleasant so well, I think that speaks a lot to where our political discourse is today. Is that we 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 feel like we're we're tiptoeing around some of these things, and you know, I, I I don't think anybody should ever have to apologize for saying you know one side won and and this is the jubilance that you saw. I mean, you know, whether you agree with the person or not doesn't take away the actual you know the thrill of victory that you're seeing in these people's faces. Sure. Yeah, and they they did run a tremendous campaign. We see that for sure. Yeah. And uh, and I, I you can understand why they won. Uh, it's change or more of the same. It's the economy, stupid. That's right. <laughs> well, uh, actually, 
since you brought up that point, I'd, I'd like to go back to uh, to another Pennebaker project, which is uh, the Robert Drew Kennedy films, which just received a release uh, within the last month or two. And uh, they had uh, Primary Crisis and a couple other films, but but I think Primary really is the one uh, that you can compare it to. And, and listeners, if you haven't seen it, you really don't have to for this conversation. Spoiler alert, Kennedy became president. <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> But actually, uh, uh, one thing I th- I noted was that Hubert Humphrey and uh, JFK were rivals, but they were not bitter rivals. Uh, they were, uh, and and actually Humphrey did support uh, Kennedy uh, later in the can- uh, later during the general, and uh, and they did have a, a well, you didn't see them together much, but you did just you just knew that um, they weren't going around throwing hand grenades at each other at each event like like what's happening now and even what happened in '92. Right, and exactly. I mean, in, in any sort of strong rebuttals or hand grenades were always, at least from my perception or what you see in film or read in history books, was it was much more issue oriented. Oriented. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna throw hand grenades about your different, you know, as in as in uh, primary on your differences in in you know farm subsidies or farm bills or, sure. or things like that, and it was you know much less about uh uh well geez kennedy i hear you've got three or four girlfriends i mean that didn't come <laughs> out until years later so yeah uh, and uh, well that actually <laughs> with clinton there's a little parallel too of course uh but, but he also you know he didn't bring up the catholic thing at least as far as we saw and as mm-hmm. far as i know uh, that was something he could have uh, negatively campaigned but uh, it didn't go after his family uh, there right. There are things that are off limits, and, and you compare it to today. Uh, today is pretty cutthroat uh, on both sides. Actually, we're in very, very heated primary. Well, even though both primaries are pretty much wrapped up, uh, one still kicking a little bit, but there's still an, a, lot, a lot of animosity on both sides. Uh, so, I you just you just get the sense of watching primary that it was. Um, you know, just to to use the phrase, it was much more of a gentleman's game. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they they knew they were rivals, and we are in primary only looking at five days in Wisconsin. So, true, true. Um, of course, again, me being from Minnesota, Humphrey, you know, Humphrey was my senator. Although uh, he they did used to tease him because he spent so much time in Wisconsin, they called him the third senator from Wisconsin. But <laughs> he he was you know he was a Minnesota guy. He was the mayor of Minneapolis where I live here, and uh, you know, knowing what we know now, I mean, you know, JFK was uh, really quite a, a figure to contend with. But you know, if I would have been a voting age back then, I I suspect I would have been a Humphrey guy, and you know definitely two different ways of looking at it uh you know kennedy was doing great in the big cities like milwaukee with the polish populations and the catholic Mm -hmm. populations and most of what you see with uh humphrey in this um documentary is him staying more over on the west side of the state you know close to minnesota and getting much more down on the dirt with the with the farmers and much more a lot more glad handing and uh you know, I, I I really think that 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 documentary really uh, shows the differences, and it's cool that Pennebaker is in both. Although I don't remember who, which camp he was filming with in '60, but uh, it's amazing to see one filmmaker kind of 
bridging that 32 year gap and how things changed. It's, uh, um, you know, political campaigns are not what they used to be. No, I, I, I kind of wondered about uh, Humphrey's age. He, he could have, uh, and when he was running for office, he, he might have kissed you as a baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very true. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, th- there is a, it is an interesting connective uh, uh, tissue between that, this and, uh, and the, uh, between the war room and primary. And uh, Pennebaker, even though he was not uh, the director, he was a central figure in, in, in those. And, and that Drew's style was probably influenced by Pennebaker's techniques mm-hmm. and, uh, and vice versa. I think uh, Pennebaker became a great filmmaker because of what he learned uh, on that project and, uh, and from Drew and Maisel's and others. Yes. But uh, and as you mentioned, that was a shorter, uh, that was just one primary, whereas uh, the War Room covers the entire genesis of, of an election. Uh, and even though they're both with the campaigns or with each campaign, it did feel like primary was a little more insider. I, I, the, the Kennedy people, even though they did show them in certain scenes like the election returns, uh, it, it, it wasn't the same sort of uh, access, I think, that... Um, that they that they received in the war room, and my, that might have been because this was such a new thing to them. Uh, that well, it was. You can tell, and I think I read this that that you know when they asked Humphrey said yes right away, and you know it's a much more grassroots campaign. It's much more you know right on the ground. I think it was much easier to get. Um, to me, I think you learn more about Humphrey than you do uh, Kennedy in that documentary. I think yeah. it might be harder to see that because we know so much about Kennedy now, mm-hmm. but um, uh, you know Humphrey allows them. In, and I'm not saying there weren't uh, parallels to this. I'm just not remembering them. But I mean, you get long stretches with Humphrey driving in the car, right, yeah. being at the being at the news station, seeing the 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 behind the scenes uh, before they go on with their uh, talk show or their. Uh, interview at at seven thirty with in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and you know what what I really found interesting was seeing how Humphrey was you know basically pre directing the whole thing. We're going to do this. We do this. I say this. My wife Muriel. Then you pop in and say this. And um, <clears throat> that's true. He was uh, he was the Carville. <laughs> yeah, he was the Carville. And <clears throat> excuse me, mm-hmm. but then you look at the Kennedy thing, and it's just much. It, it it's still very very interesting, but it's much much bigger, and you're seeing more. Uh, spectacle and grandeur and um, adulation from people uh, as opposed to Humphrey you're seeing him you know shake hands with the guys in overalls and it's it's mm-hmm. very very different and it's very very um, uh, enlightening how you see both sides of that with you know because you, you are using more than one film crew you've got For sure you, you basically have the the incubation of who's who of 60s 70s and 80s <laughs> you know cinema verite right there yeah, and I, and I I didn't count how much screen time each candidate's uh, camp got. Uh, it might have been closer to fifty fifty, but be, just because of the uh, just the celebrity of Kennedy, and, and as you mentioned, uh, just knowing so much about him uh, and him being really one of the uh, most popular and famous presidents in history, I, I, my my memory is of, of him. However, Humphrey did seem to have more human moments. Uh, yes. And there's one point he t- in the car, as you mentioned, he's he's tired. 
Mm-hmm. And of course, the campaign is tiring, uh, and the Clinton campaign was extremely tiring. On, on, I think we see the humanity in the Clinton in the war room with the staffers, not so much with candidate or with Clinton himself. Uh, right, right. Although I'm, I'm sure that you know he was. Well, we kind of saw that in the follow-up uh, documentary a little bit uh, on, upon reflection. Well, one of the things that Carville says in, in one of the special features is, you know, the thing that you think you're ready for but you just don't understand is just the the debilitating fatigue that you have throughout this whole thing. Yeah. And I, one thing I did notice in the war room is that you do when you see Clinton and when you see the staffers, you see a lot of bags under their eyes. Uh, there, there was not a lot of sleep. Probably a lot of coffee drink, drunk uh, during the, the period. Right. Uh, not so much with the Kennedy campaign. They seem to sleep a little better. I think you're uh, right. Yeah. So, kids, uh, if you want to uh, run for president, it's going to be easier on you if you uh, time travel back to 1960. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you have a do you have a feeling of what you feel is? Uh, is the better way if, if there is, is that there's a way to do it. I mean, you know, if you're looking, if you're getting access to Kennedy, but you're also, you're always worried about um, what they may or may not let you film or how, you know, as the presidential candidate, you know, as relaxed as they may get. Um, uh, I, I just wonder if, if, in the war room, the war room, I feel like we learned more about Clinton and more about the campaign than we would have if they would have um, had direct access to Clinton. I think it would have been a much more um, careful job, so to speak. And this one really gets at uh, some of the meat that you wouldn't the other way. Yeah, I think there's some, a lot to that. I think if we had a lot of Clinton, we would have heard variations of his stump speech and, and his uh, his message. Uh we would have definitely heard uh, more. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. <laughs> uh, and, and you really can't compare. I, I don't. At least to me, I don't think you can compare these as films. I think they True. just complement each other, and I yes. think they're both uh, immense quality. Uh, and both, rec- if people, if you haven't picked up the Kennedy disc, I, I highly recommend it. It's one of the best of the year so far, in, in a good year. But uh, but yeah, I think you do get a better. A more multifaceted, if you will, picture of the the candidate from the staffers than you would from him himself. So yeah, I think there's something to that. And maybe this is a good time. We've, we've been talking about this a little bit. So I wanted to talk about the the extra film in the uh, in the documentary, which was uh, Return of the War Room. Return to the War Room. Yeah, Return of the War Room. Yeah, Jedi. Uh, exactly. Shakespeare. I don't know. Uh, Part two. So that was a 2008 documentary, I believe, or 2009. Eight, uh, I believe, yeah. It was a revisitation of the uh, the same material. Uh, different different characters, different uh, participants. You actually got more Mary Madeline, a lot more. Uh, yes. Got uh, Paul uh, Begala more. Uh, Begala, yeah. Begala, yeah. Begala. Got well, some, uh, well, a gentleman from the Perot campaign. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. So what what'd you think? Well, it's interesting. Um you know, it's obviously a, a different style. It's not cinema verite; it's talking heads. Um, right. But I thought it was a good recap of what had gone on. What was interesting was to see, you know, when you're watching the war room itself, you know, you really don't see much more than the people in the room, and uh, you have to kind of, you know, garner your information in an elliptical way sometimes about what they're talking about to kind of figure out what they're talking about. 
Uh, and it was interesting in the in the return to see them insert some of the actual footage that was going on that they were reacting to. Um, so I like that quite a bit. Um, I do feel like it um, spent a a bit more time with Carville and Madeline than they needed to. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, there was a lot of people involved in this. I don't think that um, seeing them um, having birthday parties and stuff at home was uh, <laughs> overly yeah. interesting or relevant. Um, but it was it was really good to see. Um, you know, really, it really gave you a good sense of how this affected the lives of a lot of people. I mean, not only Bill Clinton becoming president, but George Stephanopoulos going to where he's at today, James Carville and everything that he's done, Paul Begala, who we just mentioned, who is, uh, you know, a strong face on CNN, has been for at least a, do- a, a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, forget her name, the I mentioned it earlier. Um, uh, is it D.D. Myers? Or? Uh, D.D. Myers, yes, as well. And it reminded me that, uh, I don't know if I saw this in this or in the, something I read, but it reminded me that D.D. Myers and Mary Madeline had their own show on CNBC That's about right, 20 yeah. years ago. So, I mean, everybody, not everybody, but it seems like anybody of real consequence or somebody that was really focused on in the film, you know, there's no question that this this um, boosted their careers and, and still mm-hmm. is to this day. Yeah, actually. And there were some, some people that weren't on, uh, there's Rahm Emanuel who yes. of course became a very, very successful pol- political figure. Uh, now the mayor of uh, Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think what you meant, meant was Ma- Mandy Greenwald. Yeah, that's Greenwald. what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and then it, Mickey, and Mickey, sorry, it's Mickey Cantor who really didn't want to even right. be involved in the film was certainly willing to talk about it now. So uh, you know, he's in this document, the second documentary, quite a bit. And I wonder if he uh, kind of feels like he missed the boat by not allowing them to film him <laughs> the first time. Yeah, I, it, that might be the case with a lot of them. And yeah. a lot of them probably didn't have a choice. They just uh, filmed who they, uh, who was there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I thought it's a great compliment. And I, and I, I love when Criterion puts uh, extra films on discs. Um, this, this one, yeah, it's not as good of a film. It's like you said, it's more conventional documentary, uh, and they're they do pay too, far too much attention to Madeline and uh, Carville. Actually, I was surprised by how much screen time they give Madeline, and, yeah. and really just one interview. Uh, but I, I I still enjoyed it. I, I thought thought it was interesting to, I, I guess you know, looking back fifteen years later, sixteen years later, to see how they reflect on their experiences. Uh, see how they grew from it, and and from the film too, and the impact it had. So uh, yeah, it's uh, if if somebody hadn't seen this, I wouldn't say just go out and <laughs> watch this. So you, yeah, don't watch it by itself. Yeah, you have to watch them together. Well, uh, do you want to talk about the supplements? Do you want to pick one sure. to talk about? Sure. Um, well, a couple things that are on my mind. Um, uh, the the supplement with uh, D. A. Pennebaker and Chris Hedges and Wendy Ettinger and who I really don't know and then R. J. Cutler. First thing I was and I watched this disc years ago. So when I was rewatching these a couple days ago, I remembered how annoyed I got at R. J. Cutler as the producer because. <laughs> You've got Chris Hedges and you've got D.A. Pennebaker sitting in the room, and they were the ones that were in the war room, 
And they're the ones that are going to have all the great, interesting stories. And I'm sorry, but R.J. Cutler could just shut up for a second. <laughs> I mean, he keeps yeah. inter- he keeps interrupting. He keeps talking. You know, he wants to get his story out. Anytime D.A. Pennebaker tries to talk, you know, he has to wait his turn and come back. Sometimes they don't come back to the points. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was a... a, a a great there was a lot of great information in it but it was not a great conversation it was kind of like watching chris matthews interrupt people all day long but <laughs> uh, um i really did enjoy um hearing some of that and and how they got to um what they filmed you know they were very very disappointed that they couldn't get access to clinton um and you right, know the right. booby prize definitely was access to stephanopoulos and carville but of course in hindsight we you know, we see, and you and I have agreed already that, you know, that was probably the much better film. Yep. Yeah. Uh, hardball with uh, R.J. Cutler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the, the, it went on for a good, I don't know, 40, 45 minutes. And, uh, and I've actually, we've seen a number of uh, Penny documentaries, Penny Baker, Penny, uh, on Criterion. And I've heard him talk about a number of things at length. And he's just a fascinating uh the storyteller uh, and, he is. and I love hearing him speak about his experiences. So yeah, I, I'm sure Cutler is an interesting guy too, but, uh, but I, I thought that it was actually too long because of, it really wasn't on, on point. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I would have just rather it just be maybe Hedges and, uh, and Pennebaker and maybe, uh, what, what's Wendy, um, Ed, Edinger. I don't know her at all. I didn't either, but yeah. I, 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 we heard her, her, uh, experiences, I think the one that was uh, the most interesting to me was the uh, the roundtable on the 20th anniversary of his him declaring his nomination, and it had uh, you know his loyalists. Uh, I know Vernon Jordan was there, of course Carville. I think Bagala was there, wasn't he? I'm, I don't think so. I, I'm completely uh, blanking on who was there now, but it was a four or five people. Yeah, they didn't have the names uh, yeah. on the uh, on the panel, but of course the star of the show was uh, Clinton. <laughs> this is really actually the most Clinton you see on the disc. Is uh, he he comes out after about uh, five minutes? Uh, I think you really just you hear Carville and then uh, Vernon Jordan speak, and uh, and but then Clinton speaks for the, the last twenty minutes or so, and uh, and yeah, actually it was really interesting to hear his take. Now this was not on the film itself; it was just his recalling uh, the success of the election how he talks a lot about new hampshire and and how that uh that really made him the remember the comeback kid mm-hmm. finishing second which uh which was would usually be uh you know i think rubio finished second and got made fun of for claiming victory but uh, well you saw a lot of that this election you know that, you did yeah. yeah uh primary season but also you know uh, uh well uh Carville's comments about how the general election is easy in comparison, and how uh, uh, he uh, he he's talking about how uh, tiring, exhausting the mm-hmm. uh, the primary season was, and, and some of those stories were neat. I, I guess I think he said unbelievable fatigue. Right. Uh, and then uh, Clinton talks about a lot of things. He talks about how he rallied people from Arkansas to come up. Uh, I thought that, was, and of course, he was speaking to Arkansas Arkansas residents. And he talked about uh, the narrative a lot, uh, about how you have to have a narrative. And uh, this was the, um, you know, the health care, don't forget health care, it's the economy. I don't, did you en- enjoy this at all? I did. I agree with everything you're saying, but allow me to complain about this one for a second. Um, 
you know, when you read the special features on the disc, it says that there's a, you know, a round table with these four or five people. And, and obviously it went on for longer than the five minutes that they showed. And I was, I'm a little disappointed in that they describe it as surprise guest Bill Clinton. Yeah. Well, first off, you can see the back of his head right when it starts. So it wasn't right, a surprise right. to them. And, um, you know, we got so little from the people on the panel and then 25 minutes of Clinton, you know, as interesting as it was, you know, this, this disc, the war room itself is more about what's going on in the back room. And I would have liked to have seen more of that in that discussion. Yeah, of course, it was to the William F. Clinton Foundation, but uh, right. But it would have been, and I don't know if there was room on the disc. I mean, you already had a, an extra movie, but it would have been neat to have the whole uh, thing. I, I don't know if it was an hour. I don't know if it was an hour, hour and a half. But yeah, I, I'm with you. I would, I would like to hear, heard more voices, uh, more takes, and uh, and there were three, four other people on the panel that we never got to uh, hear from, and maybe they didn't talk about the the primary, and that's that's why. But. That's very possible. Yeah. Um, well, uh, okay, first we, we like to talk about, uh, give films a, a rating. So uh, what would you rate this sucker? Uh, the War Room, 1992, 1993. I've probably seen this movie uh, six or seven times over the years. This is my second and third time on Criterion. Um, it holds up. It holds up very well as a, as a strong document of the time and just in the way it's handled this is a uh this is a solid nine for the film okay wow well actually this was my second time seeing this uh i saw this in the 90s it was pretty much a regular staple on hbo yes i I, I saw it at least once maybe twice back then and uh but of course you know with uh, 20 years hindsight uh maybe i'm a little bit wiser than i was then (laughs) Uh, it's nice to reflect on on the period. Uh, so, and I, I, we've, I've already—it's uh, no secret that I, I love this documentary. Uh, I think I'm I'm eight five, I'd say. And uh, and what about uh, with the the whole package, the the Criterion disc? What would you give that? Uh, the supplements are good, but with the uh, with the the faint complaints that I've already given, uh, I think the the the. Supplements are a bit unfocused. I'll give the supplements a seven. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that's fair. I, even though I love when they have a bonus movie and, oh, uh, and yeah. this one worked, uh, I, I would give the, the Kennedy films, you know, maybe a nine, five, maybe a 10. Uh, they're, they're tremendous. But uh, this one, I think uh, the total package, I'd give a nine. I'm, I'm probably the supplements seven, eight or so. Yeah, I'll give the whole package a, a eight and a half, eight and a half, eight and a half. Right? Yep. And we have this thing uh, called the canon, and uh, Mark and I have agreed that he has to approve uh, if any <laughs> inductions into the canon. So if we, <laughs> if 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 we come out of this primary uh, with uh, <laughs> with a nomination, uh, we'll have to get it ratified by exactly. Mark. Exactly. Oh, nice. Uh, so, uh, what do you think? Would you do you think this deserves to be in the canon? Um, canon worthy. Well, as a as a bona fide Criterion uh, lover, um, there are very few that I wouldn't disagree with being in the canon. Um, this one, uh, definitely, um, as a film itself, it's fantastic, and as as a chapter in the history of cinema verite and documentaries, uh, with uh, 
Pennebaker in that group um, definitely needs to be um, in that sub subset of Criterion discs. Yeah, I, I'm actually with you. I, uh, usually the, the benchmark, you know, we, we figure if it, we give something a 9 rating or higher, uh, it goes in. But this it's such an important and unique documentary, a uh, political documentary. And, and yeah, we, there are tons of political documentaries out there. There's, you know, Michael Moore's entire career. There's, uh, uh, I already mentioned the John Kerry one. There's a lot, a lot of, uh, agenda oriented documentaries. And I, I would say this one, even though of course it's covering, you know, a democratic campaign, it d didn't scream, you know, they weren't trying to say, Oh, this, push this issue or you should vote democratic uh, it was more just uh seeing what uh, what happened so so i, I think it, it is very important as a documentary so yeah and, and that's a long way of saying yes i'm i'm canonizing it so mark kicking it to you we'll uh, find out next show i guess <laughs> uh, sounds good do the right, well, do the right thing mark <laughs> vote for canon <laughs> bill cannon <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's drive this uh, this election home. Uh, let's. Uh, what, what do you got have going on at the uh, the completion these days? Uh, Criterion completion is Keith's blog. So I think you reached your a milestone. I uh, know. I'm just about to actually. Um, I uh, I'm sitting at I started it last September and I'm sitting at about 96 or 97 posts. Um, actually, I was going to be working on a big one this weekend until this great opportunity. Um, popped up so I'll be getting to it soon but I will be having my uh, 100th post here in the next week or two and that is going to be a uh, in-depth much more in-depth look at the the laser disc days about eight or nine months ago I did one on the beginnings of uh, uh, Voyager Press Bill Stein and how he got together with the the Janus folks uh, but this 100th post is going to dive much more into um, their actual um, crit or excuse me laser disc days so okay well I uh, I have a I have a big fascination for those days and it's interesting to see or to watch criterion um, at least from my impression back in the days when they flew more by the seat of their seat of their pants and you know what it took for them to get some of these discs out. And here I thought it was going to be about me and Mark, or or maybe maybe Ryan, David, me and Mark. Um, that's uh, well, of course that's number one hundred one. Well, uh, and of course, where can people uh, find you on the uh, social web sphere? CriterionCompletion.com is where the actual blog Opedia is. Please come and check it out. Uh, on Facebook, at the same place, the Criterion Criterion Completion. Um, I'd like to put a shout out to some of the people on that forum, you included, Aaron. You know, we don't have a lot of people, um, about 200, but the the quality of the discourse and the you know the sheer engagement by a, a fair number of people, uh, you know, I'm very very pleased and proud of that group. Um, you know, going back through some of the posts, there's a lot of fun information on the Criterion uh, company itself. So it's a closed group, uh, but please uh, come check it out, and, and David or I will uh, let you in pretty easily. And you can also follow me on Twitter at uh, KEE Productions, which is the completionist. And that's where I do more of, uh, you know, 
discussing or not discussing, but uh, talking about what I'm watching lately and, and that type of thing. So um, those three places, come and say hi. Yeah, and I will second the uh, vote for Criterion Completion. I, that, that is my favorite Facebook group. And, uh, you know, there's not there's not a ton of posts today. Actually, I think there's the right amount, but uh, mm-hmm. and they're all quality and they all... Uh, in fact, I, I posted something I found on Reddit the other day about uh, an old the old website. Very know? interesting. Thank you for that. And, and I, I just like, you know, people post... Uh, you know, sometimes we post our podcasts or talk about uh, your, your blog posts or, you know, the news, the new releases. So, yeah, it's, it's a great way to uh, converse in a little closed setting with people that are like-minded. So, yeah, if, if you're listening to this show and you're a criter- Criterion Geek, you probably should join that group. Well, okay, this is a Criterion Close-Up. We are at, uh, on Twitter, we are CriterionCU. Uh, you can email us at feedback at criterioncloseup.com. Uh, we're on Facebook, Criterion Close-Up, and you can go to our website, criterioncloseup.com or criterionblues.com. Uh, and I am Aaron West. I am at uh, on Twitter, AWest505. And on the next show, we will be getting into science fiction. Uh, I'm d- working on a big science fiction project, which I'll talk about next time. And so we're going to look at uh, fa- uh, Rainer Werner Fassbender's uh, World on a Wire. Uh, so that should be a fun show. Oh, I'll listen to that. Uh, you better. <laughs> <laughs> Keith, thank you again for showing up. Uh, I think this has been a great discussion, and uh, look forward to talking to you again. Maybe maybe Lewin Davis, finally. <laughs> yeah, we, we seem to keep circling around movies that have ties to Minnesota, so let's get that in one of these days. There you go. All right. Well, thanks a lot. It was uh, uh, a lot of fun to hang out and talk with you, and I'm always available. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks.